our union with Jesus not only means freedom through his death, it also means power and enabling through his life. And so the call for the believer, Paul's call here, is for the believer to live in conformity with that life that is now within us. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and today we continue a message we began last time, seeing that the Christian life is a battle, it is a fight to continue to live in step with the Spirit, like you were just talking about, Jonathan. And sometimes we can get to the point where we wonder if we can ever really have victory in doing that. Maybe we see victory in certain areas of our life, but we, we begin to wonder maybe, can I actually ever get victory in my life in this area? Whether that might be an addiction, a, str- a certain struggle, some people might call them a besetting sin. Do we ever get to the point where we can really do this? Well, in our own strength, we can get absolutely nowhere, and our our repeated failures, our regular failures, our personal discouragements in this are a reminder of how weak we are. But I, I love the call that Paul gives within our passage, and we'll look at this, to keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that's just beautiful because it teaches us and reminds us that if we are believers, if we are in Christ— The Holy Spirit of God is at work in our hearts and our lives. He is doing something. And it is it is not our calling to push the boulder up the hill, as it were, on our own in this in this struggle with sin. No, the Spirit is at work, and our call is to keep in step with what He is doing, to keep in touch with Him as we read His Word and as we pray and we moment by moment rely on His work in our hearts. He's doing the heavy lifting, and it is ours just to walk with the Lord as He's doing that. And that's a wonderful liberation. The power comes from Him and not from ourselves, and that's where our hope lies. For the person who's struggling to believe that today and to continue to walk in step with the Spirit, is there a certain truth that you cling to, a Bible verse that you go to? Is there something that you might give the person who's in the midst of the struggle today? Well, the verse that comes just before the one I mentioned there uh, is verse 24 of Galatians 5, and it's, it's, it's part of our focus today, but let me just share it with you. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Something happened on the hill of Calvary 2,000 years ago that meant my flesh, my sinful nature, was sentenced to death. It's been crucified. It's, It's still struggling on, but the victory has been won at the cross. And we experience that victory. We live out that victory in the power of the Spirit. And a day is coming when we will experience fully that victory, when we are uh, glorified and brought to be with our Savior and sin will be no more. And we do look forward to that day. What a day that will be. Well, today we're in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 5 as we continue a message, Living by the Spirit. Here is Jonathan. We all know that some battles aren't all that significant in the long run. Take, for example, that intense internal battle over whether to add a Boston cream donut to your Tim Hortons lunch combo order. That awkward moment at the checkout, the cashier can see the thought process going on in your head, the anxious look in the eye, the furtive glance over to the donut cabinet. She's seen it a thousand times before, shall I, shan't I, is this going to be a day for a treat? 
or a day for self-control. It feels significant in the moment, but probably in the long run, it's not a big deal. We can look back in history and even identify some real wars that probably didn't matter all that much. My favorite among these is, I think, the Toledo War of 1835 to 1836. In this obscure conflict of almost no significance to anyone, Ohio and Michigan went to war over the great prize of the city of Toledo and its surrounding territory. Few shots were fired, no one got hurt, and the result made really very little difference to anyone. Sometimes the stakes just aren't all that high. But Paul wants us to know that the stakes in this particular war, the war of the flesh and the spirit, the stakes in this war really are very high. He wants us to know that the battle raging within our soul really matters because it carries eternal significance. Verse 21, middle of the verse. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Over the course of the letter, Paul has been opening up this breathtaking truth that Gentiles are included in the promises of God, the inheritance of Israel, as they trust in Jesus. The inheritance was first promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. God would bless Abraham and his family. He would give them a great inheritance, and blessing would come to the world through that family. And although the Judaizing missionaries had been trying to tell these Gentile believers that they needed to become Jewish to be acceptable to God, they needed to keep the law, they needed to be circumcised and so on, Paul has been saying, no, no, that's, that's not the gospel. You need simply to trust in Jesus, and, and that's enough. And so came the wonderful summary, chapter 3 and verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The inheritance of Abraham, the salvation promises of God, they belong to all who have faith in Jesus. It's no longer restricted to those. I think that does deserve a round of applause, actually. That's the gospel. That's the wonderful, generous, gracious, liberating news of the gospel. It's no longer restricted to those who will submit to the Old Testament law. It's no longer simply for the Jews. But lest we imagine that God's gracious salvation is for the lawless, for those who will persist in living lives of ungodliness, Paul warns us that the inheritance is only for those whose lives are transformed by his great salvation. Looking at, at the ugliness of what the sinful nature can produce in a life unrestrained by the Spirit of God, untransformed by the power of the Spirit, Paul issues this sober warning. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Salvation ultimately does not come to them. The blessings of God ultimately do not belong to them. But wh what do you mean, Paul? How does this all add up? After all, you spent the last five chapters telling us that salvation depends on the work of Christ and Christ alone. It's all of grace. It's received by faith, Paul. Our actions don't earn us a place in heaven. Our moral goodness does not clear our guilt before God. But now you say that a life of ungodliness will exclude us from the kingdom. How does that make sense? We're confused, Paul. We've been taking notes all the way through. One of the things I'm growing to appreciate about Ottawa the longer we live here is the rich contrasts between the seasons 
This, more than anywhere else I've ever lived, is a city of four true seasons. And the difference between each of the seasons is just so dramatic. Ottawa in November and Ottawa in May might as well be totally different cities, completely different places to live. One of the great joys of spring and early summer is, of course, the tulips and their arrival. It's almost unimaginable as we look at empty and frosty flower beds to imagine that in a few months' time after that deep Arctic freeze, they will come alive with red and yellow and beautiful flowers, hundreds of thousands of them. And you can imagine that if we had a visitor coming to Ottawa in January or February and we said to them, look, this is, a, this is a city of tulips. You just wouldn't believe it. It is so beautiful. In just a few weeks' time, our friends are going to look around and say, um, are we talking about the same city here? I mean, are you delusional? I'd be amazed if anything organic can grow here. <laughs> and we're going to say, no, the bulbs are there. They're just a little bit below the surface. Hundreds and thousands of them, just you wait and see. And they're going to say, okay, well, well, we'll wait and see. I'll take your word for it. And, of course, the reality is that if we're speaking the truth, if the tulip bulbs are there, if they're really down there like we've said they are, they are going to bear fruit, as it were. When the weather warms, the sun comes up, the temperature rises, they're going to spring up. They're going to become very visible. They're going to burst into flower. Now, if the spiritual reality of my life and of your life is that I belong to Jesus, we've been saved by Jesus, we've been filled with the Spirit of Jesus, if that's the reality down there, then before too long, the evidence of that is going to become visible. Before too long, the fruit of the Spirit will grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, exhibiting and living out these godly characteristics that doesn't earn us salvation. But here's what it does do. It gives evidence that we have been saved. It gives evidence that the Spirit of God lives within us. Bearing fruit is not the basis of our salvation, never could be, never will be, but it is the result of our salvation, and it needs to be there. And if at the end of the day there is no evidence, if it's clear that the sinful nature just has free reign in our lives, that the flesh is the victor, then we should not presume that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul wants us to be very clear on that fact. We should not presume that we will be found among the saved people of Jesus Christ at the final day. We shouldn't presume because actually the victory of the flesh is evidence of the absence of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will prevail in the life of any true believer. The Spirit cannot be defeated. The Spirit cannot be overcome. The Spirit will bear fruit. The Spirit will bring transformation step by step, little by little, but sure enough, the Spirit of God will bring transformation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, that's right. The Spirit of God is more powerful than the flesh and he is able to change us. Now, all that is not to say that the true believer will ever attain sinless perfection this side of heaven. We will not. Scripture does not teach the sinless perfection of the believer here on earth before glorification, but Paul is quite clear here that the believer will not be characterized by a lifestyle dominated by the sinful nature. When Paul gives his warning in verse 21, he warns us that those who live like this, according to this pattern, will not inherit the kingdom. 
The word live there in that statement is a kind of present continuous tense. The implication is that he's speaking here of an ongoing pattern of life, a lifestyle, a way of life. And even though the believer will battle and will struggle and will sometimes fall and fail, verses 19 to 21 must never describe the believer's way of life as a whole. Those things must never characterize us. They must never be us. Paul tells us that this is a warning. That's the language he uses. And we need to be very clear about that. And we need to take it very seriously. Warnings are meant to be heeded after all. Failing to inherit the kingdom of God isn't simply about losing out on a good opportunity, missing a great chance in business or something like that, missing out on something good. Apparently, upwards of $20 million of winning lottery tickets go unclaimed in Ontario in a year. Imagine the agony if you were a lottery player, which I guess I trust most aren't here, but imagine if you were a lottery player, the agony of missing out on a winning ticket. You threw it in the garbage. You forgot about it. You lost it. Excruciating, I'm sure it would be. But the agony of missing out on the kingdom of God is far worse than the regret of missing out on a, a good opportunity, a jackpot. No, it's far more significant than that, far more serious. It is a matter of missing out on God's appointed rescue from judgment, His salvation from hell, and escape from destruction. Those who have not been justified by faith have not received the Spirit of God, have not borne fruit of the Spirit's presence in their lives. Such people, says Paul, won't inherit the kingdom won't participate in, won't enjoy God's eternal salvation. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message today called Living by the Spirit. It's part of a larger series called Jesus Plus Nothing, where we're looking at the book of Galatians. And today we've been looking at Galatians 5, 16 to 26. We're going to get back to this message in just a moment. But, you know, we're able to bring you Encounter the Truth because of your generosity. If you've been supporting this ministry, thank you for your gift. And as you give a gift this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called True Friendship. It's recommended by Jonathan and written by Von Roberts, really taking a look at what biblical friendship is all about. We'd love to send you a copy as you give a gift to support this month. Give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833 833- 998-7884, or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you joined us a little bit late, we are in Galatians 5, so grab a Bible and join us there as we get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. The battle is raging. The victor is visible. The stakes are high, and finally, the call is clear. Verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I understand that gas-powered cars really are now on the way out. Norway has announced that they'll be banned entirely by 2025. France will stop selling them by 2040. It's going to be all electric before too long. But of course, we're not quite there yet. What's more common just now is to have a kind of dual-powered car, a hybrid, with a gas engine and an electric motor at various times, depending on where we're driving or what the conditions are. One engine does more of the work than the other. That's how those things work. 
One of the key lessons that Paul is teaching us in this passage is that we, if we are Christian believers, we have two powerful forces at work within us, two engines, if you like. We've got the power of the sinful nature, the flesh, dragging us down, pulling us back, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit holding us up, driving us onwards. And here in verse 16, Paul is showing us that we have some ability to choose which of those two forces will motivate, will power, will direct us day by day. The Spirit will motivate and direct and empower us in, in, in one particular direction, and the sinful nature, well, will motivate and empower us, pull us back in another but there is a decision to be made. There is an instruction to follow. And the instruction is this, live by the Spirit. More literally, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. We're talking about a, a way of life here, a daily walk. The Spirit will motivate and direct and empower us in the direction of godliness. If we walk in the way that the Spirit would prompt us, if we allow the Spirit to enable us, I think it's right to say that walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit here in the passage, entails both an obedience and a dependency. Think first about the obedience side of it. If we've been believers for any time at all, we'll know full well the experience of the Spirit of God prompting us to obey God's Word. We read in the Scriptures something that challenges us, challenges our behavior, challenges our thinking, challenges our plans for the future, our lifestyle, and, and, and the Holy Spirit prompts us to obey what we've read in God's Word. We're in the midst, perhaps, of doing something that we actually know is wrong, thinking something ungodly, saying something unkind, and the Holy Spirit of God just pricks our conscience. Do you know that feeling? And prompts us to repent, prompts us to stop, prompts us to change. And in that moment, we have a choice to make, don't we? We can either choose to walk according to the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to obey, to submit, or we have the choice, of course, to disobey, to go our own way, to go the way of the flesh in stubborn rebellion against God. We can choose either to walk by the Spirit or to walk our own way, to walk according to the flesh. Obedience is a key part of this, and so too is an attitude of dependency. The call here is to do our daily Christian walking, our daily following of Jesus in an attitude of dependency by the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and not to do it, not to walk, not to live in our own resources and by our own power, which is so weak. Without the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God, we would be completely unable to overcome the drag and the draw of the sinful nature within us. It's too strong and we are too weak. But if in dependency on the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God within us, we walk according to the Spirit, there is a wonderful encouragement here. Verse 16 again, I wonder if you saw the encouragement. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. All this talk of battles within and the draw of the, of the flesh, of the sinful nature and its power, it might make us feel pretty pessimistic about the Christian life. The Christian life is going to be a battle until the day we die. We're, we're never going to kind of, you know, get over that, that hill of, of ungodliness. It seems that the battle gets more intense all the time, and I just become increasingly aware of my failure 
and my sin. We could be pessimistic, but actually verse 16 tells us that this is not a hopeless battle. There is strength to fight. There is power within. And Paul circles back to this encouragement at the end of the passage when he reaffirms that call once again. Notice what he says, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. It's a fascinating statement there, one that is rich in truth and very intriguing, but also a little bit difficult to puzzle out. It's a little bit tough in some ways to pin down. A, a clue to its meaning actually comes from a verse that we thought about a few weeks ago back in chapter 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20, you'll remember the verse, it's very famous. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. A wonderful verse. This idea of Christ living in us, of us being united to Christ by His Spirit, it, it runs through all of Paul's letters, and it undergirds so much of the truth that he gives us. Believers are in Christ. Believers are united to Christ, joined to Him, so that in some profound way, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. Because Jesus was crucified, we too have died a death in Him and through Him. His death brings a decisive break, a break from bondage to sin, a break from the guilt of sin, a break from the power of sin. And so here in chapter 5 and verse 24, we have again this idea that through belonging to Jesus, we have somehow shared in His death. Through his death, we have been freed from the binding power of the passions and the desires of the sinful nature. Of course, we still have to deal with the daily reality of the sinful nature's presence in our lives. Of course we do. But at the same time, we have been set free from our bondage to that nature, from our helplessness in the face of it. And having shared in the death of Jesus through our union with Him, we also now share in the life of Jesus by His Spirit. Having reminded us in verse 24 that we've shared in the death of Jesus, Paul now reminds us in verse 25 that we live by the Spirit. Our, our union with Jesus not only means freedom through His death, it also means power and enabling through His life. And so the call for the believer, Paul's call here, is for the believer to live in conformity with that life that is now within us. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's important to note here that Paul isn't just encouraging us to go on autopilot here, to kind of sit back and just allow the Spirit of God to do all the work. He isn't teaching us just to let go and let God, as some have described it. We could read of the power of the Spirit of God within us here in the passage and think that the Christian life is just kind of like driving one of those new self-driving cars. Just sit back, close your eyes, read a newspaper, watch a DVD, whatever, but relax because it's all being done for you. I gather that one of the first of those new machines to enter public service crashed on its first day in the job this week in Las Vegas. And if you and I think that we can just sit back and let go and let God and do nothing in the Christian life, make no effort, have no participation, disengage and stop trying, I can tell you we're heading for a pretty good wreck ourselves. It's not going to work. No, the Spirit empowers us, but He empowers us as we play our part. 
the Spirit is prompting us and enabling us to walk in a certain way. And our job, our call, is to keep in step, to keep in step with the Spirit of God, to keep in step walking as the Spirit would have us walk and living as the Spirit would enable us to live, to obey His promptings, to rely upon His power. We're wrapping up our message today called Living by the Spirit. One of the many messages in our series called Jesus Plus Nothing, where we're studying the book of Galatians. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, you can always come to the website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen online or on the radio, it's all made possible because of your generosity. Thank you for giving and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book by Vaughn Roberts. It's one Jonathan highly recommends about friendship. It's called True Friendship, and it's our gift to you as you make a financial gift of any amount this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. You can also drop a check in the mail. It's Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, K2E0A1. And make sure you ask for true friendship. Thanks for listening and join us next time.